it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. I just ripped my microphone off the pole to start up again. It came one one back in. I guess someone loosened it up. They weren't prepared for my strength, perhaps. Uh, this hour, we're going to be joined by historian uh, John Cribb. He's one of the best. Uh, I remember hit the book that he wrote, Mike Pence. It was the best Lincoln book he ever read. He's got a new book out called The Rail Splitter. I want to get a perspective. Also, this critical race theory, which in New York will now be mandatory. Take a critical race theory test before for all state workers. You believe that? By March 6th, get it done. So we'll talk about that. The president of the United States is on the road today, uh, and uh, he is coming back from Delo- from Camp David. And then on Wednesday, he's got his big meeting with Kevin McCarthy. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by Crunch Fitness. Interested in owning your own business in a growing $30 billion industry? Check out Crunch Fitness at crunch.com. Number three. I've said over and over again that he can't win a general election. And, and, and that's not speculation. That's based upon the polling that I was privy to pre the 2020 election and what we saw actually happen in the 2020 election. And it's only gotten worse since then. Intrigue 2024. It's building as Trump hits the road and Sununu Pompeo, uh, Nikki Haley, Tim Scott make it clear they are likely to join him soon. But not for him again, not just not just to join to help him, but to run against him as 80 year old Joe Biden is weeks away from doing the exact same thing. Number two, I believe it's part of the institutionalized police culture that makes it somehow allowed that they can use this type of excessive force and brutality against people of color. Ben Krupp, the attorney. Memphis mayhem. Five cops, all black, charged with second-degree murder of an innocent man, Tyrus Nichols. uh, Tyree Nichols, I should say. But some say race is a factor. Really? I'll go over the biggest worries about... Uh, I have that's going to emerge from this horrible incident. Number one. Our job's not to figure out if somebody mishandled those, but our job is to make sure there's not an intelligence compromise. Now that you've got the special counsel, the notion that we're going to be left in limbo and we can't do our job, that just cannot stand. No kidding. That is Mark Warner, Democrat. Classified document debacle. How revelations ups the seriousness. Not only did President Biden have documents dating back 16 years of his days in the Senate, but also had classified information with his handwritten notes. Does this explain why they won't even want to brief Democrats or Republicans in the Intelligence Committee? I think so. So here's what they're saying now. Reports are, and I knew this, and I got to give myself full credit for this. I said, when they said we've taken classified documents that date back from his days in the Senate, and they also took out the planners, the schedule, and the notes surrounding it, I thought to myself, why would that be? If it's 16 years ago, and think about the headlines back then, Saddam Hussein, whatever you want to talk about, was big. Whoever was leading Israel at the time, or Hosni Mubarak, whatever they want. 
But why would you take surrounding documents if it wasn't relevant to this information and if it wasn't important? And why are you giving the Heisman to even Democrats who just want to look at this stuff ahead of time to find out what was compromised? Here's Senator Mark Warner, cut one. Our job's not to figure out if somebody mishandled those. Our job is to make sure there's not an intelligence compromise. And while the director of national intelligence had been willing to brief us earlier, now that you've got the special counsel, the notion that we're going to be left in limbo and we can't do our job, that just cannot stand. I wouldn't think not. So we want to find out what's going on. Do I think any legal charge is going to be brought against Trump, Pence, or Biden? I think there's too much of a risk of people saying uh, this is inequity in front of the law. This is totally proof, double, triple, and quadruple proof that there's uh, two sets of laws, one for Democrats, one for Republicans. I just don't see it. But in terms of are you concerned about it, a poll was out now, NBC poll, uh, concern over the discoveries of classified documents. 67% are concerned that Biden had it, and 67% are concerned that Trump had it. Only 20% are not concerned. So for people saying that, oh, you guys in the media are just making too big a deal of this, no. Clearly, you have a problem with this, too, and I'm glad. Lastly, I just want to bring you to an exchange. Chuck Todd's got this new cottage industry on Meet the Press, unlike Tim Russert. He just wants to get Republicans on and treat them miserably or abrasively, inaccurately, I think. I have no problem with sparring. But you just got to spar with Republicans, too, and Democrats, too. That would be the key if you want big ratings. If not, just continue to do what you're doing and let the ratings on Meet the Press tank. Here he is with Jim Jordan talking about the classified documents and the investigations that the House will do. Cut seven. They raided Trump's home. They haven't raided Biden's home. Because Biden didn't defy a subpoena, Congressman. He (laughs) defied a subpoena. By the way, he had 60 days to comply with the subpoena before they actually executed. President Trump had documents locked in a room with Secret Service protecting them. President Biden had documents in his garage and in a think tank that was funded by the Chinese. I think there's a difference. President Trump was the only guy who was actually president. You talk about that. You're worried about the Chinese and and, and Hunter Biden. No, I'm just saying. Are you worried about the Chinese and Donald Trump? They took pictures. They took pictures of. Are you at all worried about that? No, I'm not. But they took pictures of of the documents at Trump's house. They took no pictures of documents. In fact, it's not just me who would like to know what went on here. Senator Warner said it last week. He would like to get a briefing. He wants to see the documents. And guess what? The FBI is saying no. But they took pictures of the folders in Trump's home. The issue is not whether Joe what Joe Biden did. Uh, no, the issue, is, the issue, issue is equal why treatment is it- under the law. That's the issue. Okay, here's what Chuck Todd's saying. What about Donald Trump? Yeah, what about Donald Trump? They already had a full-blown investigation with the Department of Justice before they even got the majority. He's got the, They got majority literally for, what, a week, two weeks? And they're going to look at the things that aren't being looked at, like the ongoing unfolding of classified documents that have taken place over the course of two decades as it relates to the President of the United States and what it could relate to international business. Why he can't back out and let Jim Jordan talk, I'm not really concerned. I'm, I'm a little concerned. And I'm not concerned about Donald Trump in China. I'm, are you? Donald Trump in China? Nobody's true been tougher on China than Donald Trump. So I, I'm just amazed. He did the same thing with Ron Johnson last week. But I give Jim Jordan credit and Ron Johnson credit for going on there. Next. No one's ever going to make an excuse uh, for what happened. I don't know anybody that isn't horrified by what happened. I don't know a cop that isn't horrified that what happened on January 7th with the video emerged last Friday night uh, in Memphis, Tennessee, uh, when it turns out that uh, Tyree Nichols was beaten to death. And the way they treated it, these five guys, and the way he 
uh, the way they pulled him over, uh, the way he got away, and then when they caught up to him again and beat him to death, they literally beat him to death, he dies in the hospital. And they call up his mom, and they what they say? We just want to tell you your son was drunk, driving under the influence, and um, he's in the hospital, but you can't see him. Meanwhile, the hospital calls them up and say, why are you not here? Your, your son's in critical condition. And he said, well, I was told he's under arrest. He's like, no, no, you belong here. He's not under arrest. And next thing you know, the son dies. He never comes out of it. And these five are arrested, charged with murder, too. Four of the five get out, and they might all be out by now on bail. I didn't think it was the best move telling everyone ahead of time it's coming out 7 o'clock on Friday. I stand corrected. It seems to be the most logical thing to do. But I did not think that this was going to be something that was going to be turned racial because five guys were black. The, this, the victim was black. I don't know why he was pulled over. This guy looked like a model citizen, works for FedEx, photography is his hobby, no criminal record. Here's Ben Crump, though, the Nicholas family attorney. Cut eight. We know that there were other members of the community that had been assaulted by this Scorpion unit. One young man who said he was assaulted just four or five days before Tyree was killed, uh, simply going to get pizza, Martha. He said they attacked him, pulled him out the car, yelled profanity at him, and put a gun to his head. Uh, And he tried to report them twice to the Memphis Police Department. His calls were not returned, and it is our belief that just maybe had they paid attention to him that Tyree Nichols may not have been killed in this tragic manner. Right. Uh, so I have no problem with that statement at all. Uh, and we got, you do have to look at every case they were involved in because what really struck me is when they walked up to the car screaming at him as if they're in the middle of a full-throated fight to get out of the car. They estimated in 13 minutes 71 commands uh, to... Uh, to Tyree. 71 commands. A lot of them were contradictory. Of course he's not complying. And then when he gets the crap beat out of him, he ran. In the beginning you say, well, why do you run? When you watch the video, you know exactly why he ran. And it all needs to be looked at. I get it. But here's what I hope does not happen. You can't get rid of qualified immunity, which you have to get. Uh, you don't want to stop people from signing up to be a cop. You're going to get worse and worse people or no people. New York City, for example, about 3,000 cops down. Or they're going to stop proactive policing that goes into neighborhoods, tries to see problems before they happen, get there, get known to people. Instead, you're going to have cops back out like they did in Baltimore, and then all hell's going to break loose. Nobody benefits. That's my big worry. And we'll talk more about this um, as we find out more information. But I don't think anybody defends that action. And I just don't know if you can regulate your way out of terrible behavior. It's all there. When we come back, 2024, the president, the former president of the United States went out, appeared smaller events, one in New Hampshire, earlier one in South Carolina. Lindsey Graham, Governor McMaster, both there in South Carolina, in New Hampshire. Some observations were made uh, with the president of the United States. For, uh, anytime he brings up 2020, it's a total colossal waste of time. Uh, but he made some statements. We'll find out the reaction because now he's got some Republican opponents. Not people that have any animus for him, but just rather get the nomination instead of him. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. 
Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on Outkick.com forward slash watch. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. One of the reasons he became the Republican nominee in 2016 is because he won the first primary state, your your state in New Hampshire. Could he do that again? Oh, he could. I don't think he will. Uh, He could. You know, one thing, I mean, obviously he started his campaign uh, after the election in 22. That obviously uh, had a lot of stumbling blocks um, that that he was trying to overcome. He comes to New Hampshire, and frankly, he gives a, a... very mundane speech. The, the response we received is he read his teleprompter, he stuck to the talking points, he, he, he went away. So he's not really bringing that fire, that energy. I think that a lot of folks saw in 16. I think folks understand that, um, you know, he, he's going to be a candidate, but he's also going to have to earn it. And that's New Hampshire. Even if you're the former president, you've got to come and earn it person to person. I know that about it. Governor Sununu has been the truth teller so far. He talked about DeSantis. He said you shouldn't got into woke politics. Enough with all this stuff. It's not for you to crack down on places like Disney. So that goes against the grain. And then he said with uh, with Donald Trump, most of his nominees were not successful, and that's going to hurt him. And they didn't like his message today, uh, yesterday. I think Sununu is in. Uh, one, he'll have no problem. I, he is extremely confident and down to earth, very proud of his record as governor. I'm sure Donald Trump has done. Donald Trump will do better when more people start attacking him. Then he'll attack back. I'm not sure if the if the ground has really shifted. I do know he's winning in most polls. One of his biggest critics is Governor Kasich, who was one of the last to be eliminated just because he didn't quit. Not that he was doing well. He thought he could do well in Ohio, and he might technically have won Ohio, but then he just got trounced. Cut seventeen. You know, he's he's well, I think he's fading. I've said that for a long time, but he's probably still has. I was talking to a friend of mine in New Hampshire yesterday, probably 25 to 30 percent support. You get a crowded field. He could come out of there. He could win. But he's never going to be president of the United States. Thank God he's not going to be that. However, I mean, he's still a force in the party, but not as strong as a force. And um, his two appearances yesterday, both in New Hampshire and in South Carolina, were underwhelming. But just remember this. Donald Trump, somebody that I fought from the very beginning, is a vessel for people's frustrations and anger. And the person that can beat him will be somebody who is a vessel for something other than that and maybe a vessel for hope. And just remember all the positive things he did and very hard pressed Governor Kasich to find people that say, I'm upset he controlled the border and was um, did everything possible to do it, even though he was underfinanced by his Republican House and Republican Senate. Uh, I really am upset that he had all those trade deals cut. I'm upset with the Abraham Accords. I'm upset that he was tougher on China. You might not like, I never liked when he abandoned the Kurds, but I love when he took out ISIS. I don't have to agree with everything, but his intent was clear. I did not mind him calling out NATO. I did not mind them saying you got to start spending more. I did not mind when he said Nord Stream 2 is ridiculous. Germany, why are we watching your back? Are you going to go into bed uh, with energy uh, uh, obligations to... 
to Russia. So if you're going to go at them on policy, I think Republicans are going to have a big problem. What you have to do is say what Christie said. Well, we looked at the polling. He's just alienated too many people. He can't get elected. I'm sorry to say that. That might be a little different. Here's more from Governor Sununu, cut 18. Oh, I don't have a timeline. I mean, obviously folks are talking about it, but I really don't have a timeline. I'm spending a lot of time nationally trying to grow the party uh, as Republicans. Talk to independents. Talk to the next generation of potential Republican voters that right now no one is really reaching out to. But I think we have a lot of hope and optimism and uh, a way to kind of want them to be on our team. And they should want to be on our team. It's not just about the negativity that you see in the media and the press and that they've kind of been inundated with. It really is about good government. And I'm trying to, I think we've done that really well in New Hampshire, trying to bring that a little bit to the table. And then down the road, if that leads into something bigger, so be So you're considering it? Yes. Right. And, and this is what he's 100% right. You might say that that guy or that woman is so is so perfect. It's everything I agree. She or he agrees with. Okay. Then you have to just say to yourself, can that person win over votes of moderates and independents? And if you're saying, well, I don't care about moderates and independents, okay, then just just so you know, if you don't care about moderates and independents, and you just want to blindly follow your candidate and say it's that candidate or not, then I think you should be comfortable losing. Because the candidate's going to be effective. It's not necessarily one that's going to agree with you. It's going to agree with you. You can get behind, for the most part, that agrees with you on the issues that matter most, your core principles, but the ones that can win over others. And that's going to be the key to the most successful candidate. On the other side, real quick, Joe Biden hasn't announced yet. We know that. We know it's going to wait till after the State of the Union. Okay. But listen to Elizabeth Warren talking about Harris. Yes, the terrible vice president, cut 19. Yes, he should run again, right. and he is running again, because he has gotten a tremendous amount done. Could Kamala Harris be the, his choice the second time around? You know, I, I really want to defer to what makes Biden comfortable on his team, but they need, they have to be a team, and my sense is they are. I don't mean that by suggesting I think there are any problems. I think they are. Ha! <laughs> are you kidding me? Why would you go out of your way to say that? If you had a problem with Harris, and who doesn't, you did that on purpose. You want people to know or give Joe Biden a signal, we're okay with you leaving the minority woman behind, and you wouldn't alienate everyone. In fact, you could name her. I'll tell you what, Elizabeth Warren, whatever you want to say about her, she would not be wasting this opportunity to fill the gap on leadership and on attending events and have the initiative. She knows issues. She's bright. I don't agree with, I disagree with 87% of the stuff she says. And I think that the, her, her view on our economy is, is, um, is backwards to a degree. But I don't, I don't doubt that she's comfortable on all these issues. I'm just not comfortable with her conclusion I'm not comfortable that Kamala Harris knows any issue about anything. She wants to be Queen of England, which really has nothing but ceremonial. That, I mean, that's what she wants. She's not comfortable on any issue. I don't know what happened. All right. Uh, America's history and perspective. They've taken down another statue in Washington, D.C. of George Washington. John Cribb, author of The Rail Splitter, next. And then we'll come back and take your calls. 1-866-408-7669. Brian Kilmeade. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back, everyone. Let's take a break from what's breaking in the news and talk about something that helps uh, make our country what it is today. 
Uh, John Cribb knows all about it. He's maybe the nation's foremost Lincoln expert. He's got a brand new book out called The Rail Splitter. Uh, you know, he also had the one out, Old Abe, that Mike Pence called the best Lincoln book he ever read. So John Cribb, at a time in which we need a great leader from an unlikely uh, situ- from an unlikely source, that is really what Lincoln was. If anyone looked at someone unlikely to become president, it had to be Lincoln when he started and then, of course, his rise. John, welcome back. Thank you for having me, Brian. I appreciate it. Before I forget, congratulations on the one-year anniversary of uh, of One Nation. It's a fantastic show. Oh, thanks so much, uh, John Crew. Appreciate the Saturday nights at 8 uh, Eastern time. So, so, John, you do old Abe. The rail splitter was what they used to sell Lincoln when he ran for office because uh, he really did. That's who he was. He used to want to run away from that image, but then they said, embrace it. America will, will embrace it. Why would you write this one? I wrote it uh, partly because something my grandfather said to me many years ago when I was much younger. He said, John, you know, if you really want to know the man, you got to know the boy. In other words, you got to know where somebody was from, how they grew up, what kind of shaped them as they were, were growing up. And so that's what the, the rail splitter is the story of Abraham Lincoln before he was president. And uh, in a lot of ways, it's the most fascinating part of his life. And so we, it starts him off as a teenager on the Indiana frontier. In 1826, and then he just at his side as he makes his way from the woods of Indiana to the prairies of Illinois and finally to the threshold of the White House. It is a fascinating story. It's an important story. In a lot of ways, it's the story of the American dream. Generations of Americans have known and loved it, and I don't want us to lose that. Right. And the other thing people should know about the Midwest right then, it was as rough and tumble as anything, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was a rough and tumble place, and he literally wrestles his way, uh, you know, into prominence, and he has all kinds of – his life is a, really an adventure story early on. I mean, you know, he, twice he built big, huge flatboats with buddies and floated them all the way down the Mississippi River to sell some frontier produce like live pigs and corn whiskey in New Orleans. And that first trip, uh, they were attacked by river pirates and had to fight them off. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a great story, but it's also a very inspiring story. Right. Uh, he had to do that, and he had this big wrestle against – the big one was against Armstrong, right? Jack Armstrong, exactly right, in that little village, frontier village of New Salem, where he really first went into politics and lived there for six years and was six formative years in his life. Right. They said, uh, you know, uh, you know, Lincoln, you're such a great wrestler, take on the best wrestler around. And him and Jack Armstrong won at it. They still disputed who won. Bottom yeah. line is they both fought so well to each other, they end up being lifetime friends. Right. And they re- the people there really admired the way that he handled himself in that in that wrestling match. And they did end up being lifetime friends. And you know, Lincoln was great at seizing challenges and opportunities like that that came his way. And that's one of the lessons of his life is that, you know, seizing opportunities. And Lincoln knew that this was a land of opportunity. And uh, this book is a good reminder of that. This is the, the land of opportunity. It still is. Right. And in some way, no matter where your circumstances are, you can overcome it. And who knows what heights you can reach. So when you when you have a, a youth, he was he was his dad had no interest in, in him studying, but he had a thirst for education, correct? Yeah, he really did. He, you know, he, in terms of formal schooling, he may be our last, least educated president. He used to say to his father, send him to school by littles. He said a little here and a little there. And he had less than one year of schooling his entire life. And that took place in little log cabin schoolhouses on the Kentucky and Indiana frontiers. But he loved learning. He loved reading. He literally would walk miles to get his hands on a book if he if he could. He used to say that my best friend is the man who can get me a book. And so he was he was self-taught. Um, and uh, and that, that is a real inspirational story, too. His mom dies young, but she was pro-education, as was his stepmom, right? 
Yes. It really, his, his stepmother, Sally Lincoln, uh, is a very influential figure in his life. Uh, uh, his, as you say, his mom dies young, Nancy Hanks Lincoln. His father remarries, and his father takes a dim view of, of too much education. He really wants Lincoln to be a farmer. You know, he realizes he's a big, strong kid, and he, he thinks that, you know, that's the way to go. Land has always been the way, you, you know, you make it. And Lincoln, that's the last thing Lincoln wants to be as a farmer. And his stepmother, Sally Lincoln, even though she has little education herself, uh, she really could not write, for example, but she saw that link, that thirst for learning, and realized there was something special there, and made way for him to uh, to learn and to read. Right, he loved the Bible, right? Loved to read the Bible. Yeah, yeah, the Bible, as like many frontier families, the the Bible was you know one of the few books that they actually had in the cabin there in Indiana. And you know, Lincoln really was a creature of the Bible and Shakespeare. Those are the two, probably the two uh, sources of of literature that uh, that influenced him the most. And of course, the Bible in the long run gives him a great, you know, that, that he becomes a man of deep faith during the White House years. And that faith gives him, I think, the strength and a lot of the wisdom that he needs to be a great president. So what, what got you so interested in Lincoln out of all the, the historical figures? You know, it goes way back to my mom when I was, before I could even read, we'd sit on the uh, sofa in Spartanburg, South Carolina, where I grew up with me and my mom, my brother and sister, and she read all kinds of books and stories. And one of the books she read to us was a book called Abe Lincoln, Frontier Boy by Augusta Stevenson. And I have vivid memories of her reading from that book and others about Lincoln out on the frontier, you know, living in a log cabin and splitting firewood and all that stuff. And that just, that just pulled me in, those stories. And it's a, you know, it's a, it's a real lesson that those books that you're exposed to early on in life can really influence you for the rest of your life. So, you know, obviously when you look, uh, the, when you look back in time, uh, you, you, you always judge people by the time they live, not the time we're in. When did that change here? Yeah, and that's, uh, historians call that presentism. And, I, you know, I'm not sure exactly when it changed, but it sure has picked up speed in the last 10 years or so. And it's very dangerous uh, to, and to, view, to judge people through the lens of the 21st century, because once we go down that road, nobody survives. Uh, you know, everybody's a product of their times. And if we treat people to that kind of judgment, people who lived decades or centuries ago, nobody passes muster. And we want someday when people look back at us, we have to remember, we do want to view people, you know, with straight lenses and see them for warts and all. But we have, we can't zero in and nitpick. We have to remember uh, that, take people the totality of their lives. And Lincoln, um, you know, he was flawed like all of us. But when you stand back and look at his record, I mean, he was that giant hero that saved our country when it was literally falling apart. Uh, he led the fight to save our founding principles when a lot of people wanted to throw him overboard, and he helped lead the fight to, to free millions of enslaved Americans. That's a pretty good record. I wouldn't want to go up against it uh, myself. And John, this, this business is very self-centered of looking at people through our own you know, time. John Cribb, uh, the historian and author of the brand-new book, The Rail Splitter. So, John, uh, you chose to do this in a, in a novel way, like uh, bring him to life, meaning it's on the fiction side, but it's all based in fact, right? Yes, and I did that uh, for for several reasons. One, there are tons, as you know, tons of great nonfiction books out there about Lincoln, including I'll, I'll put a plug in for your book, The President, the Freedom Fighter, is a truly wonderful thank you uh, read. 
Um, but I really did want to try to bring him to life. And, you know, fiction can do that way in ways that nonfiction can't. But I really spent a lot of time researching him to make sure that this is the real Lincoln. You know, he's not chasing vampires or killing zombies or anything like that. This is the real Lincoln, and there's a date on the top of each chapter. And I think if you can just walk with him uh, on that journey from Log Cabin, the Log Cabin to the White House, and then with the rail splitter, and then through with old Abe uh, through his White House years, uh, and just to have, you know know his story as it goes along, uh, it's a great way to bring him alive and helps us love Lincoln. And that I think that's what we need to do. These, you know, those old heroes that are being torn off their pedestals now and taken out of school books like Lincoln and Washington and Madison, they are part of those mystic cords of memory that Lincoln spoke of in the first inaugural address. They're, they're part of the fabric of our nation. They're part of our, our common currency. And if we lose them, we are in real trouble in this country. Uh, there's no question about it. The other thing is, is it possible to study Lincoln, study his presidency, and not, uh, not be uh, angered by the fact that he never got to really fulfill his second term and what he could have done? At our second most critical time, the first time was when the the secession happens, but the second time was the coming back together. Yeah, yeah. Isn't it an intriguing question that historians have wondered about, you know, through the years, uh, because he was so devoted to the Union. And, I mean, and reconciliation, really, really forgiveness. To, yeah, yeah. He really, you know, he, in this, his famous words in his uh, second inaugural address, when a lot of people wanted revenge against the South, he said, no, no, we need to to move forward with malice toward none and with charity for all and bind up the nation's wounds. And that's really what he wanted. He, he didn't want to be just the president uh, that could win the war. He wanted to be the president that could win the war and then keep the peace. And he, he unfortunately, mm-hmm. you know, did not get that chance because Reconstruction was a bad, bad time. So if you think about it, three of our best presidents, certainly most impactful, are almost accidental. I mean, you look at Lincoln, if they weren't dividing the vote back then with this new Republican Party, he probably didn't win. He didn't get majority of votes. Right. And then you have Harry Truman. Nobody thought that uh, Harry Truman was presidential material. FDR put him on just basically to get Missouri and to replace another inadequate vice president. He ends up being, I think, a very great president. And then Teddy Roosevelt. They said, hey, you know, this guy's tearing up uh, the New York. He's he's blowing up all these alliances we have. Let's make him vice president. McKinley takes him. And McKinley gets shot. So, and then Lincoln's at the head of the class, but isn't amazing in America's past, the unlikeliest people lead us through the darkest times. Yeah, it's almost it's almost like the magic of America, isn't it? It really is. Uh, And 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 I I suppose it's the wisdom of the people too. You have to say, Um, but it is as you say, Lincoln was a dark horse. He he won less than forty percent of the popular vote when he was elected. Uh, So, um, you know, people who people who claim that. You can't have a. You're not a legitimate president if you don't win the majority of the vote. Need to need to remember Lincoln and some of those other great presidents. Right. So you you focus on the younger Lincoln and how it formed who he is today. But just lastly, just on that, if it wasn't for the Lincoln Douglas debates where Lincoln lost, but he was he fought himself so well, and those debates were printed in every newspaper across the country. People understood uh, how special he was. And sometimes in life, you know, your your glory is delayed. But it's not tonight. In that case, it was. He didn't become senator, but, man, the best was yet to come. Yes, and he, he told his friend David Locke uh, after he lost that election. Um, David Locke was a, was, he wrote under the, the uh, pen name Petroleum Nasby. is one of Lincoln's favorite, favorite humorists. And he said, you know, he said, we lost the election, but he said, I'm glad we had those debates. He said, 
we taught thousands of people who had never given slavery much of a thought to hate it. And he said, he said, he said, slavery is doomed now, and it's just a matter of time. Um, so even though he lost uh, those uh, the election, uh, he uh, those debates mm-hmm. make made him president. How did you handle John his relationship with his dad? Um, you know, uh, very much I think the same way you did in um, The President of the Freedom Fighter. I pretty much take the same view. I think Lincoln's dad, you know, they just didn't – there was a fundamental misunderstanding between them in that uh, Lincoln's dad simply did not understand the value of, of, of education and Lincoln doing all this this reading. And I think that sometimes, you know, he, he did probably beat Lincoln, and a lot of that went out on, on the frontier. And, of course, Lincoln, uh, when he died, didn't go to his, his, his funeral. Um, but uh, so there was that. But on the other hand, I think that in a lot of ways he was a, a good father. He's, he was definitely a hard worker. His friends and neighbors liked him, said he was a good guy, and he apparently had a really great sense of humor and could tell a great story. And uh, Lincoln inherited that from his father, Tom Lincoln. So uh, we, have, we have Tom Lincoln to, think, to thank for that. John Cribb, congratulations on the rail splitter. Go out and get it. Another reason to love America. Great story. Someone comes from uh, nowhere to become possibly one of our the greatest president of all time. Uh, John, thank you. Thank you, Brian. Thanks for all you do to help keep history alive for us. Uh, absolutely. By the way, just a little disturbing note. Uh, George Washington statue that was commissioned in 1832 by Andrew Jackson and was uh, actually put in place, I think, in 1838. They're taking it down in Washington because they say that they don't like the look of it. They say Washington doesn't have a shirt on in it. It looks like he's wearing a toga. We don't like it. I just wish there was a more classy way to understand and respect the period in which it was assigned and the place in which it was. I don't necessarily think it's time to take it out of the Capitol. Any statue in 1832 marking his 100th, the 100th, uh, his 100th birthday. Um, okay, you listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. When we come back, it's your turn. You've had a, a lot to digest over the weekend, whether it's 2024, Donald Trump back again or whether it was uh, what's happening with the horrific incident over in Memphis. Don't move. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Watching that video, um, you know, my, my heart breaks for, for Tyree, my heart breaks for his family. Um, but what I saw in that video wasn't policing. Um, what I saw in that video were individuals that were, you know, intent on Im- imposing their force and their, their domination uh, on an individual, and it was uncalled for. No kidding. Uh, it was just horrific that we saw. I don't know anyone that feels any differently. And you just wonder if every case that the Scorpion Union is involved in is going to be looked at. But I also understand, too, that you need these special units to go into the roughest parts of town in order to protect the people uh, in low-income areas that might not be able to protect themselves. And to get ahead of the game, you need proactive policing. I worry both those things are going to be pulled back. I also think about the 18- to 22-year-old or the guy or woman just getting out of college and thought, I love law enforcement, maybe I'll be a police officer in my area. And your family's going to be saying, no, you don't want to do that. Because they're talking about getting rid of qualified immunity, which means anybody with an iPhone that wants to misinterpret how you might be doing your police work in a tough situation. And next thing you know, you're being sued and you might be going to jail. Why would you do that? On average, for example, in New York, I think you start at $42,000 a year. You can't even afford to live 
in New York for $42,000 uh, $42, a year. What I thought was, I thought when, when, when the officers are all black and the assailant is black, the one thing I thought we could say is per se fear that race would not be in this conversation. But Ben Krupp says it should be. He is the attorney for the family, for the Nichols family. Cut 10. You don't see videos about white brothers and sisters who are unarmed having this type of excessive force levied against them. I mean, think about all the videos we've seen, Martha. I believe it's part of the institutionalized police culture that makes it somehow allowed that they can use this type of excessive force and brutality against people of color. And it doesn't matter if the officers are black, Hispanic, or white. It's part of the culture, this biased culture that said this is allowed. Well, well, my, my feeling is this. Jason, I think his name was Jason Blair, was working for the New York Times and made up all these stories, made up all these sources, got a job at the best newspaper in the country. Well, I would say the most well-known uh, paper in the world, and a lot of people are very respected. I'm very disappointed in the Times in a lot of days, but nobody doubts their resources, and no one thinks they're playing a perfect game. But to think that they'd hire a reporter without credentials because they're totally duped and then have him write stories that were totally made up and he got away with it, it's terrible. But I don't hate everyone in journalism because of that. And I don't say that's that's so typical of a journalist to make things up. I look at that as an anomaly. And if you look at the stats, this doesn't happen often, which is why it's news. It should be uh, horrifying to everyone, held to pay for everyone. But I also know what happened in Baltimore when they had some controversy, everybody pulls back, all hell breaks loose. Everyone pulls back after the George Floyd riots, all hell breaks loose. And the people that pay the biggest price are the ones that need the most protection. And I think these elite units should exist. They just got to be supervised and be qualified. Who else wants to put their life on the line in plain clothes, in an unmarked car, to go into the worst sections on a daily basis with people that are often the roughest, toughest, and most lethal. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest-growing radio talk show, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. We have the Super Bowl all set now, 57. I'll be going down there, bringing the show. Friday and Monday will be coming to you from Arizona. It'll be great. Uh, Eagles against the Chiefs. A lot of intrigue on both sides. The question is, how healthy will Patrick Mahomes be two weeks to heal? This hour, we'll be joined by Carissa Thompson of, of NFL uh, Kickoff, uh, you know, uh, with Fox, of course. And she'll be working the Super Bowl, too. She'll be here. So that'll be great. And Michael Goodwin standing by. President of the United States is going to meet with Kevin McCarthy this week on Wednesday. I cannot believe they don't really know each other. You would think that maybe the minority leader would have got to know the president, but they don't. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I've said over and over again that he can't win a general election. And, and, and that's not speculation. 
That's based upon the polling that I was privy to pre the 2020 election and what we saw actually happen in the 2020 election. 20... And it's only gotten worse since then. 2024 intrigue building as Trump hits the road and Sununu Pompeo Haley and Tim Scott make it clear they're likely to join him, but not to support him to run against him as 80 year old Joe Biden is weeks away from doing the same. Number two. I believe it's part of the institutionalized police culture that makes it somehow allowed that they can use this type of excessive force and brutality against people of color. Memphis mayhem. Five cops all black charged with second degree murder of an innocent man, Tyree Nichols. But some say race is a factor. Really? I'll go over the biggest worries that I have that could emerge from this. Number one. Our job's not to figure out if somebody mishandled those. But our job is to make sure there's not an intelligence compromise. Now that you've got the special counsel, the notion that we're going to be left in limbo and we can't do our job, that just cannot stand. That is an unhappy Democrat. Classified document debacle. New revelations up the seriousness. Not only did President Biden over the course of 20 years, dating back at least 16 to his days in the Senate, have classified information, but they also say his handwritten notes contain that. Does this explain why they won't brief anyone on the Intelligence Committee? Perhaps. Let's bring in Michael Goodwin of the New York Post and Fox News contributor. Uh, Michael, welcome back. Good morning, Brian. Thank you. How weird is it they took surrounding documents, there was his daily planner, his daily schedule, and his handwritten notes. Now we understand those handwritten notes might have classified uh, information on it. Does that ex- does that explain why we we even Senator Warner can't get briefed? Not completely. Uh, I mean, I think they have to be. Uh, if there is any sense that there is classified information, they have to be careful. But you cannot cut Congress out of this indefinitely. And I think that the Justice Department seems to be just taking upon itself a wider and wider berth of what it can and 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 what it must do i mean we you know the the whole issue of uh censoring speech that the department of justice got involved in through the private companies twitter and etc it, it just seems to have happened on its own there's there's no law that says it can do this there's no habit no practice no precedent it just calls up twitter and says cancel that you know, cancel that person's tweet. Um, when did the government take for itself all of this power? I mean, it's almost like this new technology is created and the government uh, sees that Americans are using it and says, oh, well, well, then we can go there and put our heavy thumb on it. Um, so it, it seems to me, Brian, that what we're witnessing now with this classified document stuff is that nobody trusts the government now. Uh, nobody particularly uh, – there are very few people who trust Donald Trump and, and probably just as few who trust Joe Biden on these issues. But nobody trusts the FBI. Uh, nobody, nobody thinks the, the Department of Justice is playing it straight. Uh, so there you have Democrats concerned that Congress has been cut out of the process. You certainly have Republicans who believe that uh, Joe Biden has been treated more favorably than Donald Trump for what appear to be similar uh, offenses uh, or at least allegations. Uh, so I just think that Merrick Garland is making everything worse 
to the way he's conducting these investigations. And then you, you give it to a special counsel, and there's supposed to be just darkness after that until a, a report surfaces. Right. I mean, I think the government is counting on public trust, but I think they're about 40 years behind the times. This is not the time we live in now. People do not trust the government just because it says so. You have to earn that trust. And unfortunately, I think Merrick Garland is destroying more and more credibility that these law enforcement agencies desperately need and the in way order he, to function. And the way he would do that again is if he charges Trump and not uh, and not Biden in this situation when there's still so much more to learn. So if you want to see... Well, Brian, let me just stop you right there. One of the things that look at the leaks... Look at the imbalance in the leaks. There were so many leaks about the Trump investigation, and there are no leaks about the Biden investigation. Now, how in the heck does that happen if it's really playing it straight at the FBI? Well, yeah, there's been a lot of leaks on Mike Pence, too, that these were background documents before he was supposed to meet a world leader. It was speculated to be Israel. So we got that right away, but we're still – we did get a leak – that said that some of his notes are going to look at as classified, and that, that would be an issue. But you talk about an agenda. If Chuck Todd tried to beat up on Ron Johnson a week ago, he just looked uneducated. Right. And here he is with Jim Jordan, cut seven. They raided Trump's home. They haven't raided Biden's home. Because they- Biden didn't defy a subpoena, Congressman. He defied a subpoena. By the way, he had 60 days to they comply with Trump's- a subpoena before they actually executed President the Trump warrant. had documents locked in a room with Secret Service protecting them. Uh, President Biden had documents in his garage and in a think tank that was funded by the Chinese. I think there's a difference. President Trump was the only guy who was actually right. president. Right. The, I mean, you talk about that. You're worried about the Chinese and, and, and Hunter no, Biden. No, I'm just saying. Are I think you worried a about the Chinese and Donald they Trump? They took pictures. They took pictures of. Are you at all worried about that? No, Jer- I, I'm not. But they took pictures of of the documents at Trump's house. They took no pictures of documents. In fact, it's not just me who would like to know what went on here. Senator Warner said it last I, week. He would like to get a briefing. He wants to see the documents. No and guess what? The FBI the issue, is saying no. But they took pictures the issue of the folders is not whether, in Trump's home. The issue is not whether Joe Bi- what Joe Biden did. Uh, no, the, issue is, the issue, issue is equal why treatment is it- under the law. That's the issue. Do you believe this? I mean, I don't mind a debate, but I mean, he he thinks that the, the this is the equivalent. The Hunter Biden situation is equivalent to Ivanka selling handbags. You know, Chuck Todd, uh, Brian, is a good example of how sort of the journalism has been corrupted by the propaganda uh, arms of these networks. So for Chuck Todd to be taking the, the the side of the person who's not in the room, right, that's that's fine. You, you basically, in order to grill Jim Jordan, you take the side of uh, Joe Biden, let's say. But when when Democrats are there, he doesn't take the side of Republicans. It's all, he's only taking the one side, and that is consistent. And that's where the propaganda uh, has replaced the journalism. So, look, I think, I think Chuck Todd is kind of a dead letter for anybody who isn't uh, a dyed-in-the-wool partisan. Uh, it, it's unfortunate that that's what our media has come to. But Chuck Todd, I think, is is really a sign of the corruption of the media. And, and I'm not sure why Republicans even bother going on there anymore. Right. Um, maybe they're going to stop because uh, Chuck Todd would be smart to pick his spots. You don't have to brawl on every sentence. 
you got to say this is the very, but here's the issue. And you put a full screen up, and the full screen says, here are the four things about Donald Trump that we think should be investigated. What do you think? Rather than run over what he's saying while he's saying it. I mean, it's very simple. It's Chris Wallace did that for a long time. Now Shannon's doing it. Tim Russert did it. Whoever it is, provide the opposite. But don't run over the person because you don't like their network uh, or the network that they're on a lot. I got to bring you to something else about 2024. You know, the president's finally out and about. He got Lindsey Graham support, governor of South Carolina's support. Then he went to New Hampshire. Here's what Chris Christie said about the official launch of his campaign, Cut 16. I've said over and over again that he can't win a general election. And, and, and that's not speculation. That's based upon the polling that I was privy to pre the 2020 election uh, and what we saw actually happen in the 2020 election. And it's only gotten worse since then. Then add to it what you saw happen in 2022, the election deniers losing across the country, bad candidates like Mastriano in Pennsylvania dragging the entire Pennsylvania ticket down in a historic way. Carrie Lake, Blake Masters, Tim Michaels, uh, Tudor Jones. We could go through the entire list. Loser, 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 loser. And I think Republicans are recognizing that. So what do you think of his analysis? I think it's basically right. And I I would just be more specific, though, that it's not just it's not Donald Trump's endorsement that is killing these candidates. It is his insistence that they say the 2020 election was stolen. That's what is a burden for in the swing states, swing voters in swing states, no matter how they feel about that. Uh, about what happened in 2020, I think it's primarily a backwards-looking, revenge-minded approach. And I think it doesn't interest people in the sense of, I have new problems. I have problems now. And I am not worried about vindicating Donald Trump's uh, view of the world, uh, of what happened in 2020. I want to look forward, not past. And I think that's the burden that is killing those candidates. And I think Christie is fundamentally right that it is the thing that makes Donald Trump unelectable in 2024. Now, look, things can change. People can change. But as we sit here today, Brian, uh, with the 2024 campaign just beginning, uh, I think this is something that is is going to prevent Donald Trump from ever being president again. Look, I think there are other issues, too, of course, one of them being that he can only serve one more term. So the minute he's elected, he's a lame duck. Uh, I think that there are there are just too too much water over the bridge for him uh, to change people's minds. I don't think it's impossible, but I think it's highly unlikely. And so, therefore, I basically agree with Chris Christie that, right. you know, it's the swing states that Trump cannot win in. You know, I didn't read the context of uh, his whole speech, but staying to the prompter and, and not going on wide range. Look, I don't have a problem with that's what Chris Nunu brought up. But there's a lot of people. I talked to Tim Scott on the Saturday show. That's as affirmative as I ever heard him. He looks like he's going to run. Nikki Haley, Pompeo looks like they're going to run. I think Chris Sununu's going to run. So you put him in the fray along with Mike Pence, who they're all set to launch. And Governor DeSantis is starting to staff up. So that's going to be a that's going to be a formidable stage when they start debating. 
Absolutely, and and probably Glenn Youngkin as well. Yeah, uh, from the governor of Virginia. So yes, but you know they're in maybe Trump's strength, which is a big field, and he's got a solid base of support. Even if you say it's only twenty-five or thirty percent of the Republican Party, what can happen in the primary system is. If you can continually pull that 25 or 30 percent in a big field, you're likely to get uh, the victory and the delegates that go with that. And over time, uh, the others uh, who may be very good candidates but don't look as though they can win, the money will dry up and they'll have to drop out. That is effectively how he won the last time, and it's how his candidates uh, the Herschel Walkers and the Mastriano and the others, it's how they became the nominees of the party in, in the states, is that winning a crowded primary, uh, it doesn't take a majority. It just takes a plurality. And that, I think, was the Trump formula before. And it could well be uh, repeated this time if you have such a big field of interesting candidates, but none of whom can beat Donald Trump uh, in a crowded field. That's going to be the test. Right. I think that the average voter has to ask themselves, who can win the general? Not who agrees with me the most. Who can win the general? That's what they should have pulled from 2022. Uh, Lastly, just real quick, Mayor Adams Uh, is now forcing all of his employees in New York City into critical race theory-inspired training. they got to get it all done by March 6th. It's all mandatory. All New York City employees, uh, the training will provide all New York City employees with a framework to understand the importance of racial equity in the workplace. How disappointing is that? Very. Um, And and this is, Brian, my, my consistent criticism of Mayor Adams, whom I supported and whom I voted for. Uh, My consistent criticism is he keeps taking his eye off the ball, and the ball is crime. That it is – you can talk to a lot of people about what's wrong with New York. What are the problems? What is holding New York back, city and state? And the one thing that everyone agrees on is crime. And to the extent that you – spend an hour on other things and you don't spend it on crime to the extent that you put the police department, which presumably would be going through this critical race training theory. Uh, All of this is a waste of time. It's a dilution of energy. It's a dilution of resources because unless people feel safe, they are not going to come to the city as a tourist or they're not going to live here, they're not going to shop here. Uh, it's, just, it's just crazy that anybody in public life thinks anything else is, right. is nearly as important as crime. Absolutely. So I don't I have no idea what he's talking about, uh, but the word equity to me is radioactive today. Uh, thanks so much, Michael Goodwin. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you, Brian. You got it. one 408 This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Your call's next. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. It is time for us to give back to uniting this country. And if we think about the things that unite this country, all of us want the next generation to be better off than this generation. All of us want to be able to live where you want to live and succeed based on your efforts. 
not because the game is fixed in your favor. The good news is right. this is America. We are the most exceptional nation on earth. If there's traction for that story, I hope to go to another state and then another state right. and another state. So we'll see what happens. But the so, good Lord's blessed me with living the American dream. So it's an excellent chance. I was Tim Scott on One Nation on Saturday. Uh, I was asking him a bunch of questions. And, uh, of course, the last one was about his interest because he's going to New Hampshire. He's going to Iowa. And in the past, oh, Brian, I don't, I'm not even thinking past this. I'm not, now, all of a sudden, he clearly is. He's got a lot of financial support. Big uh, story from Charlie Gasparino that so far the major donors have avoided President Trump. Now, if he starts winning these primaries, most of them will come back. But I think it's all about his messaging. And I got to read the context of his speech, the text in his speech. But if it's all about 2020 and they stole it, uh, that's not going to work. But if he runs on his record what he was going to do, what he plans on doing, and what Joe Biden hasn't done— He's got a strong case, but have a good. He's got to have a good time again. This was, he was once having a great time, and a lot of it's out of his hands. I get it. When we come back, we, t- we talk about having a good time. Let's talk about the Super Bowl. Carissa Thompson's going to be here, one of the superstars of Fox Sports. Uh, and keep in mind too, I'm going to be on outnumbered from twelve to one. I know you'll be watching anyway. Radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Ball is bobbled and it's on the ground and loose. Who's going to get it? He just dropped it. I mean, that was a good snap. He Eagles just... have it. Ertz going to give it to Scott. Racing around the edge. Scott is in. Touchdown, Philadelphia. Going to sneak it again. Hurts looking for a push from behind. He is waiting for a signal in. Touchdown, Eagles. The Philadelphia Eagles are going back to the Super Bowl. And there you go. The Philadelphia Eagles going back to the Super Bowl, but the bigger story happened at night. Uh, I thought we were looking at overtime, but it ended up being, and for a morning show host, it was a tough decision. But uh, Carissa Thompson, I think you respect my decision to stay up and deliver a subpar performance on Monday in order to see the game live on Sunday. Absolutely. There is no excuse for you to ever go to bed when there are it's championship Sunday and the teams go, are going to the Super Bowl will be decided, and I don't want you to find out in the morning. Right. And you also would think that show my – do you don't think it shows a lack of maturity not going to bed? You think it's a more mature to finish out the game and then play tired – all uh, Monday. Yeah, unless you like excuses and you're not a guy who comes up with excuses. <laughs> right. So you, you're able to do both. My Monday, Monday morning quarterback for you is you made the wise decision. And Chris has really got her hand full because I'm going to do Outnumbered with her yeah, I'm at, excited at about noon. This. She's doing Fox News and the Fox family. You know her from Fox NFL. She's a host of Fox NFL Kickoff. She also got a great podcast, Calm Down with Aaron and Carissa. And also, you're going to be working the Super Bowl, right? Yeah. So, so I, when do you get there? What are you going to be doing? Well, I, I'm going to just link up my itinerary with yours because right. I've been hearing all morning that you uh, drew the short <laughs> straw. you got to spend a week in Arizona. Oh, shucks. Right. No, not a week. They're just sending me Thursday after the show. What? Yes, I know. Um, Who do I need to talk to about this? you well, got to be out for the full experience, well, even I, as a Giants. You're a Giants full. fan. I'm a big Giants fan. Right. You've so, done your research. Well, it's going to be hard for you. What, what the hell happened with the Empire State Building? 
I mean, how is that acceptable? You need to t- this is your city. Right. And you need to tell me how that happens. Well, uh, for people that don't know, the Empire State Building, which is pretty famous, correct? Even if you were not born in New York and you know about the Empire State uh, Building. Yes, I do. King Kong and everything. So they decided to light it up with Eagles colors. Then we find out it was Chiefs colors, too. I've never remembered that in my lifetime before. And to me, I think we have to take the building down. Well, let's leave buildings intact. But I just think that we need to get to, you know, there's cameras all around that thing. I need to figure out which Eagles fan got into. Do you think it's like one guy that I just hope decided to light this I up? I hope there's like a deflate gate kind of a situation with the with the one Eagles fan that was like, you know what I'm going to do? Yeah, because I don't even care. That's cool that you want to do the Chiefs. That doesn't matter. You, you put the Chiefs, Bengals up, whatever. But you can't put Philadelphia colors in the middle of New York City. You can't do it. Giants played Philadelphia three times. Chris, I don't seem to remember what happened. Well, you don't want to know what happened. The <laughs> they Eagles lost won all three times. All three times. I know. I interviewed Saquon Barkley prior to their divisional round game, and I was like, why is this time going to be different? And he's like, well, let's just hope it is. It obviously wasn't, and the Eagles are now playing in the Super Bowl. But, hey, look, it's a good year for you guys. I'm a huge uh, Dayball fan and what he was able to do. Did you know in. he'd be – did you sense he'd be this good when he was – Interview for the job and a coordinator up in Buffalo. I mean, look, there's the guys that have the DNA and what what he was able to do up there in Buffalo. And he's a guy's guy. I mean, he's the guy that sits with the groundskeeper because his father or his grandfather was a groundskeeper. I mean, he's the the grab a beer. Yeah. Hang out at the bar. And we know, I mean, culture matters and coaching matters and who you have in that locker room. And he's a player's coach. And every guy that I talked to on that team was like, couldn't be happier that 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 get him to to lead them. And it's turned a corner. I don't need to tell you. It's been a minute. Right. I know we're talking way too much about the Giants, but I, the last thing I'll add is I went to the Jacksonville game. Okay. And I watched Saquon uh, have some great runs but not get out of bounds. Mm-hmm. And Dable finds Saquon, arguably their best player, and screams at him twice. Yeah, he, because uh, no one should be down. exempt. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's tough. There's a, there's a star – there's a star formula. A lot of times screaming at the star is not the one, right one. But I think that sets the tone in the rest of the locker room that no one's exempt, that you're going to hold everyone to the same standard, the same LeBron, the, the, you know, the Michael J- Jordan, that whole thing. I think that you treat everyone the same and you get the respect of the guys in the locker room. But anyways, back to the Eagles. Yes, <laughs> they are the best all around team. Uh, it's hard to argue with them. I mean, on that defensive side of the ball, they led the league in sacks with 70, which is insane, uh, and that's just in the regular season. Um, they're stacked Jalen Hurts, and good for him. You know, we live in a society that's like, what can you do for me lately? And all of the pundits around Jalen Hurts in his first few years, and Nick Sirianni, again, going back to coaching, has done a heck of a job with that group. But A.J. Brown, dude, I don't know how Tennessee lets that guy go. I mean, it's a complete game changer for this offense, and they can do it on the ground. They can do it in the air. I was really bummed uh, just for San Francisco. You know, I, I worked with John Lynch. He used to be in the booth when I was a sideline reporter, and uh, has done an incredible job in that organization as a GM, you know, taking their team to the NFC Championship game three of the last four years. It would have been nice to actually see that game be a contest. But Brock Purdy, uh, the Cinderella story, you know, ended at 1030, not midnight. So uh, but right. a, lot of, a lot of upside for, for Niners fans moving forward. I know they don't want to necessarily hear that today, but. Uh, you know, the only person like you is a little like Geraldo. You have such a great answer. I wanted to stop you four times. First off, I on, need to learn to shut up. I no, no, it's, it's, it's all intriguing. Brock Purdy, I love that story. You know, he's wearing street clothes, not dressing for these games. Last player taken, 236th or whatever. Yeah, I think it is. And he gets taken and he, he goes undefeated. And I watch him scanning the field as if this game is easy for him. But they say he ruptured his owner nerve mm-hmm. in it. Now, think about this. 
you rupture it, you're in total pain, but you go out again because there's no other quarterbacks, yet you can't throw. It's unbelievable what was taking place. Well, we were on a text chain, actually. uh, I host the Thursday night of coverage for for Amazon, and Ryan Fitzpatrick, who, as we know, the journeyman in the NFL and is 17 years in the league, and he was with us on the desk this year. But we were like, Fitz, uh, do you have a private plane you can get here, and do you have any eligibility left? Because at this point, like even Steve Young had made a joke to put him in when Christian McCaffrey was sitting there with the playbook I was like this is where we're at and poor Josh Johnson I mean that's another journeyman in the league but like you know it was uh unfortunately it was their storyline all year and injured quarterbacks and it's how the year started is also how it ended you know sometimes they try to change things in the offseason competition committee what about when playoffs start addressing three quarterbacks? Well, Jimmy Garoppolo was like, I wish I had a helmet there. I mean, you know, he, he had hurt his ankle and, you know, questions about whether he could have won if he actually was in pads or not. But um, at that point, you know, that's one in whenever, however many, you know, thousands of games that that happens where you're all the way down to a Christian McCaffrey. Uh, you're you know, running back. You're running back, yeah, who uh, you can put in at the quarterback position. But, yeah, it's unfortunate. I mean, there's nothing really more to say about it other than the fact that this is a team with a tremendous amount of upside, and you just look at it like they're, they've they been good for the last few years. They'll continue to be good, and uh, got to give it up for Brock Purdy. I mean, what he was able to do in stepping into an unenviable situation and mi- really making a name. He's now Mr. Relevant, not Mr. Irrelevant. Uh, Krista Thompson's here, obviously, uh, in studio. So, uh, And she's going to be outnumbered at the top of the hour. I'm always outnumbered. Right. You, you right? are outnumbered. Yeah. But th- in that show, I'll, I'll actually be the only guy. Because you'll have four women. Well, I mean, I act like a guy. So, you know, I'm with you on that one. Right. But I'm uh, looking forward to it. How, how, are you... You're one of these guys, if you're a woman that doesn't get rattled by guys, they say that that's a guy's guy, a, a I, girl's guy. I, I am, I am, but that's the problem, that I end up being guy, a guy in my relationship half the time, which is why I've got two divorces under my belt, but enough about my personal life, you know? You, you did make a comment on the air of, of, about that. I, I forgot what you said, but it was it was funny as hell. You got Self-deprecation for me is the only way to get through. I've had some, like— not so great things happen in my life. Um, I always joke that I think I'm drafting first rounders and they end up being busts. So right. I shouldn't be a GM. Um, I'm going to leave the scouting report for significant others to someone else. Uh, well, it's, it, I'm, I'm sure none of that none, that is your fault. None. All right. Oh, good. That's what I'm going to go with. Just, uh, just back to something less interesting, football for a second. Patrick Mahomes mm-hmm. with a high ankle sprain. Yep. When you hear high ankle sprain, that is a serious, just like turf toe, they pretend as if not serious. It's extremely serious. Yep. High ankle sprain is extremely serious. For him to run that nine, was it nine yards at the end? Yeah. With, and then take eight, the hit yeah, out of bounds? The, four, the, fourth and, the fourth and eight uh, with eight seconds left to put him in position. It doesn't surprise me, though. Uh, we were talking on the pregame show. Charles Woodson said he wouldn't be surprised if Chad Henney went in because Michael Vick was talking about how – uh, much this injury to your previous point, that high ankle sprain, how bad that hurts and how difficult it is, especially for a quarterback like Patrick Mahomes that does so much of his work outside the pocket and improvising. Um, that said, he's a gamer. This guy, you know what I mean? Like, get out there. It doesn't matter if that ankle was going to snap off. He wasn't going to miss a snap. Uh, and so for him to pick up that first down, obviously, you know, the Bengals didn't want that penalty, but it sets up the field goal and, you know, they go on to now their third Super Bowl in the last four seasons. So excited for Andy Reid, too. The storyline there, you know, spending 10 years with the Kansas City Chiefs the last decade and then 14 with the Philadelphia Eagles. So going back, looking for his second Super Bowl win against his old team is a fun storyline. Let me ask you, 
What is it like knowing so many players well over the years? It just means I've been in this business a long time and I'm old. You know, I joked with Erin. She had to sit down with Brock Purdy before. Erin Andrews. Yes, uh, who I co-host the podcast with. And her and I have been friends for over a decade, uh, our time at ESPN and, and of course, at Fox. But um, I said, Erin, you and I could be Brock Purdy's mother. And that's not even a joke. I mean, her and I are 40 and 44. Respectfully, we have the same birthday. But um, we could be his mother. And But I think it's awesome to to have been, you know, lucky enough, you know, I mean, right. we love our jobs. And if you're lucky enough to stay in this business, the same way that players feel like if they're lucky enough to stay in the league long enough because it's so cyclical. Um, it's cool to to cover guys that, you know, you watch come up through college and covered in college and now having success in the pros or even in the Brock Purdy situation. Does it make uh, not that you're necessarily out in the critiquing business, but does it make it harder to critique when you know that guy? personally yeah. and you see that he had an extremely bad game and he gets benched and and it's obvious that he's not playing well or have an attitude problem and you kind of know the inside story yeah I mean I think for me not coming from the you know I'm not a as a as a host I'm less in the you know critical analytic part of it but I have opinions of course Absolutely. on whether guys should be in or out and that's part of the business the same way my mom had an old adage a long time ago not everyone's gonna like you Carissa you're not gonna like everyone so people have opinions on me as a host right so it's like you sit in that chair or you step on that field or you know whatever the respective position is when you put yourself out there expect that there's going to be pundits but for me what I love about sports is that it's kind of quantifiable you know for me it's not just like you get an end you get a winner yeah, you get a loser yeah and it's like you starters. you threw four picks like i'm not making up that you had a bad game you know so uh there are facts to support opinions most of the time in sports right uh what do you think betting has done to to your job it's uh, lowered my bank account. Um, <laughs> do you bet? All the time. You do? Oh, yeah. I used to go to the racetrack with my grandpa when I was a little girl, and he would just say, like, I'm a babysitting Carissa for the day. My grandma thought he was a saint. We'd end up at the track. Used to be Long Acres, turned into Emerald Downs up in Seattle, and I've had an affinity for the ponies ever since, but that has parlayed itself into other areas. Did you areas. ever work any of the uh, Triple Crown, any of the races? I didn't, know, and I've man, always... man, that's a rare know, skill to I would have loved to. I know that's the NBC umbrella or the TVG where uh, I would have loved to, but the Derby, anyone that hasn't ever been to the Kentucky Derby, one of the greatest sporting Never been events. There. <gasps> yeah. It I always hear. falls on the first Saturday of May. You, which go, usually, as a, you go as a civilian? Uh, yeah, I do go as a civilian and a dysfunctional one at that. I mean, the mint juleps stay a while. It's always on my, around my birthday, so I use that as an excuse to be a complete degenerate. But um, it is I, I, I love gambling responsibly, of course. I always have a thing, don't bet what I'm not willing to lose. Um, but, yeah, it's, football, I'm going to always keep my eye on the sport because it's my favorite sport. But I just love throwing money on anything, college basketball, uh, during the tournament things like that first uh, weekend i'll go to vegas there's nothing better than las vegas first weekend of the tournament i'm shutting up now so so chris the other thing is from the anchor perspective which i didn't know you were going to talk about personally but that's even better but from the anchor perspective when we're talking about uh spreads and bet on this uh-huh. and now that's an element in almost every scoreboard show it still throws me when you know remember jimmy the greek you weren't I'm, I'm older than you but he used to be on with brent musburger and he used to talk about spreads and 
and betting, and I used to be like, I'm just into wins and losses, almost as if that's the underworld of sports. I remember, that was I, the over, overworld. Right, and credit to Fox, because like most things, they were you know not afraid to throw it out there right when away. a lot of people wouldn't, and guess what happened after that? The ESPNs, everyone else, even uh, having a, an official in the booth, Mike Pereira, right? That was one, Fox was one of the first Absolutely. people to do that, so uh, I I mean, it's not just saying this is a suck up to our company, but like I love being at a company, working for a company that's not afraid to do things that Anything. might be unpopular. Um, but then, you know, imitation is the highest form of flattery. So it soon follows after that. But it's part of the game. I think that, uh, and it, that's even what I loved about Adam Silver, um, you know, of course, the commissioner for the NBA. He's been a big proponent of uh, allowing things to happen that are going to happen within his sport. Let's embrace it. Let's control it. And then uh, same thing. It's, the NFL's a little moves at a little slower pace than that, just because the shield is protective of the mm. shield. Um, but I think it's good. I think it's good for the sport. And again, like anything responsive, responsibly gamble responsibly. Carissa Thompson, one more segment with you. And then we're going to move to television. I can't wait. Let's Back do it. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Here's Butker. For 45 yards. All the way. It's good. It's over. It is over, and the Kansas City Chiefs have won it, heading to the Super Bowl for the third time in four years. And the Kelsey brothers will play each other in the Super Bowl, right? God, you can't ask for better dudes than that. Uh, They're so much fun. I remember I interviewed them actually in— Krista Thompson's here still, by the way. Yes, I still haven't stopped talking in the commercial break. Um, In Cincinnati, you know, they're Ohio boys, and uh, they're just great. I'm so excited for them. I can't imagine being their parents— and, you know, she, uh, his, uh, Travis and Jason's mom famously, when they were playing, I think it was last year or the year before, in playoff games, she flew, watched one in the morning, flew, got on a plane, watched the other one in the afternoon, and had the jersey that oh, was split. That. But to now actually see them playing in the Super Bowl would be great. So, Carissa, what do you think Tom Brady's doing next year? Well, uh, you know, we would be lucky to have that Fox contract come to fruition, you know. that. What's he, so bad about working for Fox? Why is he Hello? <laughs> I mean, all he's got to do is come to us. We'll yes. tell him how great this place and, is. And, I mean, do you think he, he be hang- he's going to be in the lunchroom? Is he going to uh, be know, hanging out with you guys? Here's the thing. I believe him when he says, I don't think he knows, right? Uh, after everything that happened last year and he retires and the unretiring, everything personally that was going on, I think, uh, and not knowing Tom Brady in this capacity, but I would imagine just from my outside view looking in that he's really going to think about whether he wants to come back. He's a competitor. He knows that he can still play even if it's not at his highest level. Um, look at look at the need for a quarterback. We're at we're we're on to Josh Johnson last year, and with all Great due respect, point. you know, last game with the 49ers uh, to him. You know, he's played in the year fifteen years, fourteen different teams. I was shocked he lost fifteen pounds just from the stress of well, everything he was going through. I mean, I, I gained weight during my divorce. I was so happy to be out of that relationship. My God, right. but no, I think uh, we would be lucky to have him at Fox. We would also still be lucky to have him in the NFL. I think that we have gotten this incredible front row seat. Oh yeah, uh, We've to, never to like greatness. This. No, I mean he's won more Super Bowls than organizations have even sniffed. So what he's done is incredible, and I just hope that you know I grew up a huge Michael Jordan fan. 
fan, and it pained me to see him in a Wizards uniform. Um, because he wasn't that good anymore? Or yeah, because... it was more of that. Like, it, it, look, Brady puts on a Bucks uniform and goes and wins a Super Bowl, so it's not necessarily about that. We've seen the Joe Montanas go to Kansas City and, and, and have a different uniform. It's just going out on top, you know, is, right. is how I like to see the athletes not being carried off because, you know, you leave this you leave this league one of two ways, uh, whether they force you out or you get to decide. So I hope it's his decision. Unless it's Tom Brady. Well, Miami or Las Vegas probably. We'll see. Uh, we will see. It, it'll keep it interesting offseason per usual that way. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hope you had a fantastic weekend. Uh, judging, we, of course, watched the disturbing video that came out on Friday from January 7th. No one's, uh, no one's pleased by it. Everyone's horrified by it. Even people in law enforcement, in a matter of moments, I was to Commissioner Pat Ryder of, uh, of Nassau County in just a moment. Uh, Brett Baer at the bottom of the hour, too, will bring us inside what we can expect politically because we know this week we're going to see the President of the United States actually meet with a Republican, and it's going to be Kevin McCarthy. Amongst their topic is going to be the debt ceiling, and the President's going to pretend as if he hasn't negotiated with that for the last 30 years. He's going to say, just give me a clean raise instead of looking at spending, which everyone should be on board with, even if it's some tough decisions. Uh, meanwhile, the President of the United States is also going to be in Baltimore today to talk about an infrastructure project that hasn't yet started, but it's going to be rebuilding a tunnel. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I've said over and over again that he can't win a general election. And, and, and that's not speculation. That's based upon the polling that I was privy to pre the 2020 election and what we saw actually happen in the 2020 election. And, and it's only gotten worse since then. And that's Chris Christie, 2024, intrigue building big time as the president, former president, hits the road uh, New Hampshire as well as South Carolina. And Governor Sununu, Mike Pompeo, uh, Nikki Haley, Tim Scott make it clear they are likely to join him, but not to help him, but to run against him. As on the Democratic side, 80-year-old Joe Biden is weeks away from making that announcement. But guess there's some intrigue about the running mate. Number two. I believe it's part of the institutionalized police culture that makes it somehow allowed that they can use this type of excessive force and brutality against people of color. Well, let me see. Uh, Memphis Mayhem. Five cops, all black, charged with the second-degree murder of an innocent man, Tyree Nichols. But some say race is a factor. Really? Uh, I'll go over my biggest worries that could emerge from all this. Number one. Our job's not to figure out if somebody mishandled those, but our job is to make sure there's not an intelligence compromise. Now that you've got the special counsel, the notion that we're going to be left in limbo and we can't do our job, that just cannot stand. It's true. Uh, Mark Warner, Democrat, classified document debacle. New revelation ups the seriousness. Not only did the president have documents dating back over 16 years uh, to his days as senator, but also, get this, had classified information with his handwritten notes. So we recopied them over. Does this explain why they won't brief the Intelligence Committee? Perhaps. So I'm watching all this unfold from a civilian perspective, and I'm seeing things that I see wrong. But I'm both more fascinated by the amount of people in law enforcement who are writing me saying, whatever you do, you can't defend this action. And I'm talking about what happened um, what happened with the Memphis situation where Tyra Nichols was beaten to death over the course of two interactions 
with this so-called Scorpion unit, which is an acronym for an elite unit that goes into the worst sections uh, to take out in a very rough neighborhood, to so to speak. With me right now is Commissioner Pat Ryder. Uh, as you know, when something like this happens, Commissioner, people think it's just Memphis. Absolutely not. We saw uh, we saw demonstrations across the country. What was your reaction, first off, to the incident, and what has it been like in Nassau County, New York? Well, first of all, Brian, good morning, and thank you for having me on because I think this message is important. Nobody hates a bad cop more than a good cop. We People like what these five officers did down in Memphis put a target on every cop in, in, in the United States. And, you know, it doesn't matter what race, religion, or gender. They wear a blue uniform, and they're held to a higher standard. I was horrified by when I saw it. I, you know, I've seen things like Rodney King. I've been around when Rodney King happened. I've been around when George Floyd happened. And those two also horrified us. But when you watch the actions of these officers, the whole situation, and I know there's been experts on speaking about this all over, Nobody's an expert in law enforcement. Nobody is an expert in law enforcement more than a current member because it changes every day. The laws change. Yep. Once you have control of that individual, it's over. You don't get to throw an extra punch. You don't get to take an extra shot at this guy. It's over. Control is the key to it. They and you will sometimes see five to six cops to arrest somebody. It may take that, but we're not taught to punch someone in the face or to hit hit somebody in the back with our um, collapsible baton when he's not, he's not complying, when you have both arms held out. You, the officers are holding both arms, and they're cracking him in the back with their nightstick. And then he, while he's on the ground and they got him in control, they say, step back so I can spray mace in his face. That's not how it's supposed to work. So the training went out the window. I don't know what training Memphis sees. I'm sure they're a good police department. But the, but the training on these individuals went right out the window, and they, they hurt all of law enforcement in this country. They did, and I'll get to that. I also saw this stat. They said that they found the officers shouted 71 commands during the 13-minute period before they responded over the radio that Mr. Nichols was officially in custody. The orders were issued at two different locations, one near Nichols' vehicle and the other in the area where he fled, where he was severely beaten. The orders were often simultaneously contradictory. Get down, lay down, to what are you doing, on your stomach, stand up, where are you looking? So they were all over the place. In the beginning, he's saying, what are you guys doing? So if he was reckless driving, which is not proven, they told his parents he was under the influence. There's no proof of that. And then when you look at his record, Commissioner Ryder, it turns out the guy's got nothing on his record, full-time at FedEx, part-time photographer. He was yelling for his mom because his mom was only 80 yards away. Uh, that's what that's what that's what gets to your soul when they talk about how it's to the core of you when you watch this and how it upsets you. You know these these guys. There are standard commands that you give. Again, part of training. Police don't move. Police, you know, give me your hands. Police, identifying over and over who you are and taking control. But when they're putting out over the radio that he's under he's in control. You know, and again, I don't know what happened in the beginning, so I can't comment on if there was a reckless driving or not. I just know that they took him out of the car. They got him on the ground. He's in control. That's when they should have placed the handcuffs on him. But instead, he gets up because they're too busy tasing him or too busy spraying him with base that he gets up and he runs and he gets loose again. That's because, they, again, they were not looking to control the individual. It was almost like it was time to even the score. And, again, that hurts all of us here in law enforcement. So on that incident in particular, he got away. They catch up to him and beat him senseless. And more people come 
including firefighters and they watch, a fire department, the EMTs, and they watch. Now, you're a commissioner, so no one outranks you. How do you deal with a superior officer or, or, or you walk up on a unit and the Scorpion Union is beating the hell out of this guy and you wonder what's going on here? You know it's wrong. How do you handle it when these guys outrank you? So every single officer, and again, I know people talk to where was the supervisor, where was you know, it's not a perfect world. The supervisor can't be at every scene, and I don't know who, the, but the senior man usually takes over. Every single officer is held to a standard that they should, they know that they cannot watch this happen. They know that they can't stand back and let a crime be committed. They are just as guilty as the person who threw the punch if you're standing by and letting it happen. Your job is to intervene, stop it, and put an end to it. And obviously we saw there they did not. They all stood by. The individual was cuffed on the floor. The medics should have intervened more, should have called. I, I don't know if they called. Can you do that, Commissioner? That Bring me to a scene, uh, a chaotic scene. And if you're, yeah. if you're a medic, can a medic walk up and to, to a sergeant and say, Sergeant, get out of the way. This guy's, uh, this guy's in cardiac arrest. Get out of the way. His arm's broken. Or you hurt him enough. Stop hitting him. This guy's going to die. Can you do that to a cop if you're a firefighter? Absolutely, because it's about life, life and death. That's what we protect and serve, preserve life. When we get to a scene, the medic steps in and says, hey, I need to do, you know, we're having a cardiac arrest. They got a broken arm. I need to administer first aid. They get to step in again once the, the individual is controlled. And again, control is about placing handcuffs. And sometimes they'll even ask us to uncuff them. And sometimes we will, but we'll do it with other officers standing there. We'll cuff both hands to, to the side of the gurney. Whatever we need to do to make him controlled so that the first aid can be administered. They should have jumped in, set that person up, and started to administer first aid to him when he was sitting up against the car and kept falling over. So I want you to hear uh, Ben Crump, the, the Nichols family attorney, with Martha Raddatz on ABC Cut 9. So you believe there was racial bias towards Tyree, even though all five of those officers who've been charged with second-degree murder are black? Absolutely. Because when you think about it, as I've said previously, in my 25 years of doing this civil rights law all across America, Martha, it is not the race of the police officer that is the determining factor whether they're going to engage in excessive use of force but it is the race of the citizen. And oftentimes, it's the black and brown citizens that bear the brunt of the brutality. Commissioner Ryder, do you understand that perspective? Black, these are five black officers, a black victim who dies, and race is involved? So, obviously, we're held to that standard. We're officers that wear a blue uniform. doesn't matter what race we are. Right. We're held to that standard. In this case, the victim was black. What they're trying to do is make it a a racial incident and say that there is systemic racism through law enforcement. Every single occupation in this country have bad people. Bad people does not mean the organization is bad. Does can we do better in law enforcement? Absolutely. And I'm going to tell you what the biggest issue that I think is, is something that runs through this country. The different standards of training that goes on. There should be a standard throughout the nation Absolutely. that we all must follow, and it's not. And because it's not being followed, I don't know how Memphis trained. I don't know how New York City trains. I do New York City because I was there, but I don't know how Suffolk trains. I know how Nassau County trains, and we hold our members to a standard that's above the law. But you write your own curriculum, right? Do you write your own curriculum? 
we, we follow a state curriculum, okay. and then we add a couple of hundred hours more of our own curriculum about what we want done. But the standard should be a national standard about how you de-escalate, when you're allowed to use um, you know, deadly physical force, when you're allowed to use your taser. And you know, I heard somebody speak about the taser over the weekend and say that you can't dry stun somebody with a taser. It shoots two prongs out. That's not true. You can dry stun somebody. But every time I don't know what that means. Could, taser, you, could you say that again? Dry stun? Yep, what so when you mean? place the taser, like, like the, the point of the taser up against somebody, it's just like putting your, your tongue on a, ma- on, a, on a battery. Two points meet, and you're going to get shot. Okay. You can do that with a gun. You don't have to pull the trigger. But every time you pull the trigger, it's recorded. And then when that's downloaded, you'll know how many times and for how long they, they use that taser. That's all part of being transparent. That's all part of having accountability. And, again, these are standards that should be national standards and are being recorded and given out. So uh... – they're talking about police reform again, and they're also talking about qualified immunity. Uh, qualified immunity does what? They want to take that away from you guys. What would that do for recruiting and for your people? Any time that you're not going to back up your employee and you're not going to stand by your employee and say that we're going to take that qualified immunity. So, so you end up being involved in a shooting that we're not going to back you up from the liable side. Well, now I'm not only putting myself at risk, I'm putting my whole family at risk. Um, the livelihood of, 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 of my livelihood, but then also now my house, my car, everything opens up if the department does not you know, indemnify me. And in most cases, like in, in our county, we, we vote and then we will indemnify those in a indemnification meeting to see if they reach the standard. If they abuse their authority or they did something that extreme wrong, we would turn around and say, no, we're not indemnifying you. You're on your own, you know, because you went above and beyond. You broke the rules. Commissioner uh, Pat Ryder here of Nassau County. So over the weekend in New York City, there were protests. Some one got uh, one police cruiser got smashed. The windows got smashed. Another cop. Uh, this one woman uh, punched three cops. Punched three cops and got out the same day without bail. So I mean, I would. I can't ever picture the mindset of punching one police officer ever, let alone three and get away with it. I know that's a minor thing in the big picture, but isn't that part of the ultimate di- the disrespect with the uniform? Absolutely, and that's that's what's happening because the national message, is, you know, is that defund the police and let's not support our police. Here in Nassau County, we have a great county, we have a great county executive, and our politicians all support law enforcement. Other places around the con- country, when they allow this to happen, you start to have a morale issue. When you have a morale issue, people will tell you, I don't want that job. You know, and, and so now you got to rebuild it. And I know in the city of New York, Commissioner Keyshawn Sewell, who's a personal friend, is doing everything she can to keep the morale high and keep the officers going out and being professionals and doing their jobs. And it's tough. It's tough in an environment when you may have a, you know, a city council that's not supporting you the way locally here I get the support from our council. Right. You don't get it from Albany either because they're the ones who did these no-cash bail laws. Even the governor wants to switch it but with the supermajority in this state they're not going to be able to. And also, you talk to me about cases. So, uh, Commissioner Ryder, you, you find me. You, you want to build a case against me. You think I'm a bad guy. But you only have a certain amount of time to build that case. Correct? Or, or... I, got four, I got 14 days after indictment to turn everything over. Everything. So every part of my case, once you've been arrested and indicted, you, you went to arraignment. Uh, not indictment, excuse me, arraignment. 
Once I get you to arraignment, I got 14 days to turn everything over to the defense counsel. Everything. That means the scene, the photos from the scene, who the undercover was, uh, who, who, you know, and that puts everybody in jeopardy. But again, it's something that we've met the standard here. Uh, it's a struggle every day because when we're spending time doing that, we're not spending time going gotcha. after the bad guy. Lastly, uh, did you see any uh, any demonstrations that uh, threatened to get out of control over the weekend in Nassau County? We we had one at the courthouse last night. It's it was peaceful, and uh, we welcome peaceful protests here in Nassau County. It's the people get the right to exercise their First Amendment right. We will not tolerate criminal mischief and violence, uh, and nor should we. And and I think for the mo- even during the George Floyd, we had an um, an excellent. Um, approach towards handling the protests, over 350 protests, no damage, no violence, and everybody got to exercise that First Amendment right. Commissioner Pat Ryder, thanks so much. Appreciate the uh, the, the uh, policing one-on-one course you just gave the, our audience. Thank you. You got it. Thanks, Brian. You got it. 1-866-408-7669. we come back, I'll take your calls on that. Brett Barrows will bring us inside the political uh, the ramifications of what's going on this week from the debt ceiling going up to meeting with Kevin McCarthy to the uh, more and more getting set to launch their 2024 uh, quest to get the Republican nomination and those that might challenge President Biden. And the interesting comments Elizabeth Warren just made about Kamala Harris. Don't move. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Yes, he should run again. Yeah. And he is running again. Because he has gotten a tremendous amount done. Could Kamala Harris be the, his choice the second time around? You know, I, I really want to defer to what makes Biden comfortable on his team. But they need, they have to be a team. And my sense is they are. I don't mean that by suggesting I think there are any problems. I think they are. Why does she always feel like when Elizabeth Warren talks, it's a children's story? Not that I'm against children's stories, but it's always as if I and also I find it just stunning that she went out of her way, not to just endorse the ticket. And if she really wanted to and was worried about the ticket, say Kamala Harris seems over her head. But for her to say, well, that's up to Joe. Clearly, Joe Biden is going to stick with Harris. For Elizabeth Warren to put it out there creates nothing but stress, I guess, within the Democratic Party, which I embrace. Maybe she wants to be the running mate. But, I mean, Kamala Harris, she's known her for years, but would not endorse her. So I thought that was noteworthy. I'm going to bring that to Brett Baer. Brett Baer also has a big interview with Boris Johnson that airs tonight, uh, the former U.K. uh, prime minister. And he's going to be joining me next. Don't move. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. I've said over and over again that he can't win a general election. And, and, and that's not speculation. That's based upon the polling that I was privy to pre the 2020 election uh, and what we saw actually happen in the 2020 election. And it's only gotten worse since then. Then add to it what you saw happen in 2022. 
the election deniers losing across the country. Bad candidates like Mastriano in Pennsylvania dragging the entire Pennsylvania ticket down in a historic way. Carrie Lake, Blake Masters, Tim Michaels, uh, Tudor Jones. We could go through the entire list. Loser, 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 loser. And I think Republicans are recognizing that. Uh, that is uh, Governor Chris Christie putting on his analyst hat, but he could be a competitor of President Trump. Joining me now is uh, Brett Baer, host of Special Report, a big interview with Boris Johnson tomorrow night, uh, which is going to be interesting because so much is going on in the U.K. right now um, as they try to stand up their economy. You think we're struggling. Uh, look at them. Uh, Brett, welcome back. What do you think about Chris Christie's analysis? Do you think that it's going to be a much harder time for Donald Trump this time? I think so. But you look at the polls. I mean, he's still leading in a number of these polls uh, as far as Republican primary uh, contenders. Um, You know, others have DeSantis up, uh, but Trump is a factor. And, you know, he'll always be a factor. I don't think you have to you can count him out. I mean, if it's even if his base is from 35 to 25, um, you get enough people in a primary field and that's all you need. I know. So far, I was pretty amazed that Mike Pompeo seems ready to basically jump in. Nikki Haley, too. And here's what Tim Scott told me on Saturday night about him possibly jumping in much more definitive than I thought. It is time for us to give back to uniting this country. And if we think about the things that unite this country, all of us want the next generation to be better off than this generation. All of us want to be able to live where you want to live and succeed based on your efforts, not because the game is fixed in your favor. The good news is this is America. We are the most exceptional nation on earth. If there's traction for that story, I hope to go to another state and then another state and another state. So we'll see what happens. But the good Lord's blessed me with living the American dream. And I think he's going to Iowa and New Hampshire. I think Tim Scott's got a lot of momentum. I mean, he's got a lot of money, I should say. He's got a lot of money. uh, And we'll see how his campaign organization turns out. He's really impressive. I mean, you've seen him. You know, talk, give speeches. Uh, he gave uh, a great speech at the RNC. He's, um, you know, one of the stars of the Republican Party and is somebody who is going to be you know, a factor um, when you get into primary politics. Yeah, we'll see how that takes shape. I was also struck by what Elizabeth Warren said yesterday uh, when she was asked about Joe Biden running again, cut 19. Yes, he should run again. Why? And he is running again. Because he has gotten a tremendous amount done. Could Kamala Harris be the, his choice the second time around? You know, I, I really want to defer to what makes Biden comfortable on his team. But they need, they have to be a team. And my sense is they are. I don't mean that by suggesting I think there are any problems. I think they are. What is she talking about? <laughs> that was totally unnecessary. She just blew up Kamala Harris. Yeah, I don't think there's any love lost uh, with Kamala Harris and the um, Democratic Party. And clearly that's evident by (laughs) what she was saying. But um, I think, you know, listen, I think both of them are going to run again. I I think Biden's running again. I don't think he's tossing Kamala Harris off as VP if he does does that. There's a lot of Democrats, really, who'd love to give it a shot if he doesn't run again. I, I don't think that that's the case, though. At least that's the signals we're getting. I know. It's it's pretty amazing, though. Maybe she was the battering ram to say, start bringing up the fact that he should dump her. Or she's saying that, you know, I would have taken much more advantage of an 80-year-old president that seems to be willing to take his hands off the wheel a lot. Uh, and so she clearly has not filled that gap. Uh, yeah. I think that she would have when she was named. 
Yeah, I think, you know, she's got a lot of vulnerabilities and, and the way that she, you know, presents uh, the way that the Democratic Party looks at her. I think they, at this point, would much rather have Pete Buttigieg uh, in the second spot. Um, but listen, it, it is what it is. And, and I think you're going to see in the next few weeks after the State of the Union, President Biden run again. No question. So General Mike Minahan, the commander in the Air Mobility Command, said this in a memo. I hope I'm wrong, but my gut tells me we will fight in 2025, meaning Chinese President Xi secured his third term and set the War Council October 2022. Taiwan's presidential elections 2024 will offer Xi a reason. U.S. United States presidential election 2024. The U.S. will be distracted. Xi's team, reason and opportunity are all aligned in 2025. He went on to say to everyone to get your affairs basically in order legally and seek counsel if you don't. How significant is that statement? I mean, it's pretty significant. I think it's um, it's um, the major statement about um, you know the, his status and what China is going to do. It's pretty amazing if you think about it. Here's what Michael McCall said: Cut twenty-five. I hope he's wrong as well. I think he's right, though. Uh, unfortunately, I mean, China's mounting Wait, an actual war. Well, I, I think China's looking at uni- reunification of Taiwan. Right? That's how they call it. Uh, there are several ways to do that. The first one is to uh, influence the election that will take place a year from today. Uh, present size party uh, is running for re-election. China is hitting them hard, saying they're a proxy of the United States to go to war with China. Uh, if they succeed in that effort, like Hong Kong, without a shot fired, but if they don't win in that one, they are going to look at a military invasion, in my judgment. We have to be prepared for this. So those two things on top of each other, not that anything's ever been ratcheted down between to between them, I think it gives a new urgency for us to get the defensive weapons necessary for Taiwan to defend itself. They seem to be gummed up right now, even though they've been green-lighted. Yeah, I agree with you. And uh, there's a lot of concern about the ability to get these weapons because we're producing and sending weapons to Ukraine. Uh, stockpiles are low, and... You know, if you think about how people talk about this threat from China, it's changed in recent months. It's much more urgent. Interesting. Lastly, on Ukraine, Robert Gates talking on Meet the Press over the weekend about what we're doing and what we're not and the pace in which we're giving Ukraine weapons. Cut 26. Only thing I would have said is that a lot of this could have been done sooner. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're talking about it potentially being six months, a year or more before the Abrams tanks get there. I think the key thing about the Abrams tank decision was that it unlocked the Germans. That was the real reason. I I mean, the Abrams tanks are probably not going to make that much of a difference when we're talking 37 versus how many Leopard tanks that we want to get over there now. And and we have our allies, Poland, uh, Germany and others have hundreds of uh, of these Leopard tanks, which are a very good tank. So he's upset about the pace. Condoleezza Rice also upset about the pace. Have you heard that in military circles? Used to, Pentagon used to be your beat, Brett. Yeah, it's there is upset about they should have been in there earlier, sooner. Um, a lot of people are upset about that. But now stuff is moving, and they're right that the Abrams tank was never – it was never about the actual tanks. It was about the signal that the U.S. was sending in first and opening the door, the floodgates, to um, – you know, Germany and Poland and others. All right. So lastly, Matt Taibbi was on with me on Saturday night 
And he talked about his latest observation and reporting as it relates to Elon Musk inviting him over there to see the Twitter files. And he talked about Hamilton 68. Mike Morrell, Russian, uh, former Russian ambassador Mike McFall, Hillary Clinton's former chief of staff John Podesta, uh, no, excuse me, head of her uh, reelection, uh, Bill Kristol uh, from Weekly Standard, obviously a Republican, but all have one thing in common. They hate Trump and feared he'd win again. So they formed together this clandestine group to go out and take any positive conservative or Trump message and attribute it to Russian bots. And then you watch what happened after. You watch other media outlets pick up the same thing, run with the same storyline. When Twitter got involved and said to lawmakers, this is not Russian bots, there's no indication, this is just natural trending, these are actual stories, they were ignored from Blumenthal to Adam Schiff on down. So I'm not sure in this news cycle it's getting the, the heat it deserves, but this is, these are some names that you would not think that would be involved in something so blatantly partisan. You're right. I mean, I think uh, there's you go back to the blocking of the Hunter Biden story and the blocking of other stories. Um, you wouldn't think that the list of people would include, you know, people like Leon Panetta or um, other intelligence experts. But they now acknowledge that they didn't really have knowledge. They just thought that they should sign on to that letter. Um you know, listen, we've talked about it a lot. Trump broke a lot of people because of the emotion of, you know, not wanting him to succeed. And um, those are some of them. And so, uh, uh, Brett, you're going to have a chance to sit down with Boris Johnson. What can we expect? Well, listen, he has a lot of knowledge. He obviously has a lot of uh, information about Ukraine. He was the first world leader to go visit Zelensky. Uh, so he's going to come on and talk about the state of world affairs and also what's happening in the UK, which is, you know, we think we're messy. They're pretty messy themselves. They had a prime minister, prime minister for about 10 days. We had, we had a, a military official who said, informed the UK, you're no longer considered an elite fighting unit by the way you've been defunding your military, if I could just paraphrase, that must be tough to handle. Yeah, that's a big deal if you get uh, talked about like that. Listen, uh, they're, they're a big ally. He's going to have some interesting things to say, so it should be should be good. It's a busy week on um, special report, but I leave Wednesday, Brian, to go play in the AT&T at Pebble Beach. Um, so I am trying to also get my golf game in gear. Where is the game right now? Like, where, where is it? Brett Bear level? <laughs> yeah, it's it's there. I'm a two. I'm a walking wallet, but I'm a two. What can we expect? I think good things. I don't know who my partner's going to be, but um, I will inform you, and you guys can uh, track where we are. Finally, get the golf coverage we need. Might you leave and go if they if the live tour gives you a huge bonus? Will you leave with so many others? <laughs> I couldn't do it. Special reports to home. All right, you got it. Uh, okay, you know yeah. what? You might want to play hardball, and this way you <laughs> could have Greg Norman make you an offer, and then try to get your numbers up at Fox. I like that. You could be my agent. All right, I'm going to work on it. Brett Baird, thanks so much. See you, buddy. All right, special report. Uh, watch 6 o'clock every single day. And you got Boris Johnson there, too. So just as we were talking before about what was going on in China, I had not really talked about that much today. But uh, this thing with China is getting pretty serious in that they really believe that they, they need to absorb Taiwan. Not only do they want to absorb it, it's an example of a thriving democracy on their doorstep. It's also an example of something they need. They need to corner the market on tech. 
And with these chips that they have there and the success that they've had, if they absorb it like they did Hong Kong, they see nothing but upside. And they look it around and say, what are you going to do? And if they are doing this, if they do do Taiwan, what is going to stop them from beginning to swallow up the Philippine Islands? Does this sound familiar? This is why Japan, I think, has quadrupled their defense budget, which is freak China the heck out because that's the last thing they want is a muscly, a muscled up uh, Japan. But we need it. South, we need it from South Korea, too. And China will bulk up North Korea, even though I think that they really I do believe some of those reports are true, that they really do not control North Korea, that they are a wild card to them. So those are some of the things that we're looking at today, because when the U.S. within two years has a general like Mike Minahan, a commander, come out and say, this is what I see over the last two years and go up to the people that work for him and says, go ahead, lay out your personal affairs, handle it. And if you need any help, meaning you will, there's a legal unit, legal services that are going to be available. They also say we're going to be training extremely hard and aggressive, meaning something could happen during training. So that, to me, is a military that understands it. My feeling is the Pentagon doesn't. If the men and women who are fighting every day are out there on the front lines, whether it's you're in ships or on feet, you guys get it. But I feel like uh, at the Pentagon in Washington, they don't. And the President of the United States is... Is uh, reacting in Ukraine, not certainly not leading the way as the tip of the spear, trying to think out of the box. All right, so I'm going to be at number to the top of the hour. We come back. You're going to find out there's more to know and get a great sparring session between Brian Cranston and none other than Bill Moore. And once again, I'm on Bill Moore's side. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, I'm going to be outnumbered at the top of the hour, but I just thought, would it be a good time to find out if I need to know more? More to know. Sponsored by Unplugged. Reclaim your privacy from big tech snooping with Unplugged. Visit Unplugged.com. Well, here we go. Uh, This is a very interesting uh, conversation between Bill Maher and Brian Cranston. And believe it or not, I 100% agree with Bill Maher, and I think Brian Cranston's shocked when it comes to critical race theory. Listen. Just that are not. Look, in Florida, they're, they're, they they want to do do away with critical race theory in a lot of other states. Because, some, because sometimes it veers off into things that are really not appropriate in schools. So how do you govern you, If you're how telling you... five-year-olds that you're either an oppressor or someone who uh, was uh, oppressed, you're you're introducing ideas about race that are inappropriate for for kids that age who can't understand okay. it. Okay. It just uh, the back and forth. Brian Cranston, who's been on before when he was in Malcolm in the Middle before he became this megastar, uh, he just uh, just it totally indicates to me what's happening with people that don't have any idea what the rest of the world is doing outside Hollywood and their acting circles. Next. Uh, get this, the Empire State Building lit up in green and white. That's how I got up today. It's the cover of the New York Post. It says bird brains, and they did it in the Eagles' color. So you know the Eagles are not liked in New York City, no joke. They beat the Giants three times. It's for the Jets and Giants and Bills. That's it. Mets and Yankees, Knicks, Nets, get it, understood, a New York team. Red Bulls, I'll take it. NYCFC, if you can figure out their light blue colors. 
fine, but you cannot do it that way. Meanwhile, some funny uh, some funny tweets in response. One controversial Barstool founder, David Portnay, criticized the lighting scheme. The building, quote, tweeted him with a video of Portnay fake crying and saying life is so unfair. City agencies joined in the social scrum. Let's move on. A YouTuber named Mr. Beast pays to cure the sight of a thousand blind people. Evidently, he gave them cataract surgery they couldn't afford. Mr. Beast gave away $10,000 to a number of patients, uh, bought, uh, bought, one, uh, bought one at Tesla, and even donated $50,000 to another college fund. He donated $100,000 overall. I never knew about this guy, Mr. Beast, but his name is Jimmy Donaldson. Donaldson is known for outlandish stunts, which include him being buried alive, 50 hours and I'm wearing the last person to take the handoff of a private jet gets to keep the plane. In addition to being YouTube's most subscribed individual, he's also one of the website's highest earners. Congratulations to him. What else can I tell you about? Good Morning America 3 or GMA3 has cut ties with TJ Holmes and Amy Robach. They don't seem upset by it. Big picture shows them in LA straddling each other. Next, nearly 9 in 10 adults think they're financially responsible, yet 35% still rely on their parents to pay their bills. Yes, three-quarters of those responding vow to take these bills on themselves within the next two years, but 30% admit they have their parents pay their bills. That, to me, is kind of contradictory. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Uh, Keep in mind, I'll be on outnumbered at the top of the hour, and you'll see me all throughout the channel. And keep it here on the Brian Kilmeade Show, briankilmeade.com, uh, to order any of my books. I can personalize them, send it out. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.